0: your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to please turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter twenty one, Luke chapter twenty one. Again, welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We have been going through the gospel of Luke together uh, for many months as a church. And at the beginning of the week, my ambition was to get through all of the prophetic words of Christ in this chapter Uh, down through verse 38. By the end of the week, my ambition was just to get through verse 5. So we are going to uh, read verses uh, 1 through 5 this morning. And before we read, let's uh, pray together and ask for the Lord to help us with the hearing and the preaching of his word. Let's pray again. O Lord, our God and our Father, if you were to mark iniquities, who among us here could stand? But there is forgiveness to be found with you that you might be feared. We thank you that you have given us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. Pray, Lord, that you would forgive us our many sins, that there would be nothing in our lives that would hinder the word from being sown deeply into good soil. We do pray, Lord, that you would protect us from distractions, that Satan would not steal the word. We pray, Lord, that we would not allow the word to fall in rocky soil. We pray that you would take the rocks out of our lives, that it would not spring up quickly only to wither away. We pray, Lord, that it would not be choked out by the cares and the concerns of life or the deceitfulness of riches. But we pray, Lord, for good soil. We pray that the word would be sown and bear fruit 30, 60, even 100 fold. We ask, Lord, that again, if anybody needs the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior for the first time, Lord, you would draw them to yourself. We ask all this in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Luke chapter 21, let's uh, begin by looking at verses 1 through 5, starting at verse 1. Hear now the word of God. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow... Put in more than all of them for they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Amen. Well, we are looking at the parable or the story of the widow's might. And we see that the Lord Jesus as continuing his public ministry. At the temple. Now, Luke has had us at the temple with Jesus here for a while. You'll remember that uh, many weeks ago we saw the Lord Jesus Christ uh, come in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. The children coming alongside, shouting Hosanna uh, to uh, the king. Uh, We see Jesus uh, performing a cleansing of the temple. This, of, caught, of course, brought the, the wrath and the ire of the Sanhedrin upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees wanted to know by what authority are you doing this? Who, who are you essentially to drive out all the cattle out of the court of the Gentiles, which was about 30 acres in uh, area and to drive out all those animals and to overturn the money changers tables. And they began to ask Uh, Prosecutorial questions, you know, trying to trip Jesus up. First, a political question. Uh, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Then a theological question. You know, which um, uh, which man shall this woman marry in the resurrection? Because she's been married seven times. And Jesus said, you neither know the power of God nor the authority of the scriptures. And uh, and so. Uh, this confrontation is building over time. Now, Jesus here uh, then turns and says to them, I want to teach you or ask you some questions now. And he begins to ask them questions based on Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And and Jesus says, what is what is going on here? How is it that David says he has a son and yet that that son is David's Lord? David is king. Who is greater than David? And of course, the answer, boys and girls, is that the son of David is greater than David. The son of David is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, being fully God, born of a virgin, conceived in the womb of the Holy by the Holy Spirit, um, and brought forth both as God and man, is greater than mere David. David, of course, was a sinner, but Jesus Christ is the sinless, holy, undefiled one. And is the savior of all the world. So Jesus here with his disciples and the crowds, they're still at the temple and they're observing the offerings. And he sees uh, the wealthy putting in, we're told in verse one, the gifts into the treasury. And so they're lining up. And the, and maybe we, we don't know, but some of the commentators speculate that um, it was not just that they're watching, but they're hearing because remember, they deal in coin. This is not a credit card or a paper money society. This is a society that tends to deal in coinage. And so when a wealthy person puts into the offering, you not only can see it, but you can hear it because it's lots of clinking and clanking going on as they pour a bunch of coins uh, into the treasury. And of course, if there's a a great multitude of bags being poured in or it's a giant bag. You hear this continual sound coming forth and it certainly probably caused people to turn their heads to say, who is that that is giving this offering here? All that coin going in there. And so Jesus observes this. And then, of course, uh, Jesus then observes with his disciples this poor woman. We are introduced to her in verse two. We don't know much about her. We just simply know that she's a widow. Uh, She uh, has lost her husband, lost her protector and provider, except now relying on God alone, Uh, not uh, immediately, not through the mediation of a husband. And uh, she is poor and she puts in two small copper coins. It was the smallest currency, kind of like our penny, boys and girls, that you could put in. She puts in just these two And Jesus has a lesson here in verse three. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Now you say, well, how can that be? How is it possible that a poor woman who contributes so little to the budget actually, Jesus says, is contributing more to the budget than the wealthy? And here we see something of God's economy, uh, how God's economy is different than the economy of men, that those who give generously, even out of their poverty, actually contribute more to the kingdom of God than those who write large checks. And the reason for that is because you have to realize that God is the one who is sovereign in the use of the funds, and that God, in the mystery of his own economy, is able to multiply. Gifts that are given in faith, even if they're very small gifts, in ways that he's not obligated to do with those who give large gifts. So that what we see here, the principle is not the size of the gift, but the gift in due proportion to the faith of the giver. Now, this woman gives in large faith because we're told that she gives everything she had. And so we see here that because this woman gave In faith, uh, everything that she had, the Lord was pleased to acknowledge that she actually contributed somehow, uh, mysteriously. But you have to remember, this is the God who multiplies the fish and the loaves, uh, that this gift contributed more to your salvation than what the rich gave at this temple. Think about that. You are in Jesus Christ Today, in the 21st century, in part because of what this widow gave more than what the wealthy gave. Because God used that in ways. Remember, how did you get saved? You got saved by people bringing the gospel to you. Well, who brought the gospel to you? Well, people who brought the gospel to them. And who brought the gospel to them? Well, the people before them and on back. And you can go all the way back to this very scene at the temple. And and what we see here is that we stand, as Covenant Presbyterian Church today, uh, more indebted to the widow than to the wealthy in Jesus' day. Because of the offering that she gave, God saw to it that over the centuries, that gift would continue to ripple on uh, through the centuries. Not just because it's recorded in Scripture, too. I'm just talking about from generation to generation, the giving that we have continues to have effects when you give to the church, the Lord is able to use that in ways that you cannot imagine that there, there, there are gifts that are given in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ that may continue to give for another five, six centuries we don't know. God is the one who's in charge and, and we just give in faith and we trust that the Lord will use those gifts to bless and multiply his church. Now, uh, John MacArthur has uh, some wonderful material from his commentary on giving. I just want to say a few things from MacArthur here. This is not my own material. I want to give proper citation. Um, But MacArthur says that how people view money is an effective barometer of their own spirituality. Uh, MacArthur says that money itself is neutral, but the love of money is. Uh, is an evil, and that it is the Lord. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse eighteen, that it is God who is the one who uh, has the power to make wealth. you In fact, you remember Moses told the children of Israel to watch out because they're going to they're going to live in homes that they did not build. They're going to eat from vineyards they did not plant as they go into the land of Canaan. But he said, watch out. Because lest you get all these blessings, you forget God. I think that's something of what has happened in our own culture. That God has blessed us economically uh, to, to the extent that we are turning away from God and, and his word as a culture. That we're turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're going after other gods. And that's why we're in the moral tailspin that we are in these days. It's a rejection of God's word and a rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've gone after other gods. Things of the creation. Romans chapter 1. That the problem with man is that man serves the creation rather than the creator. So it, it is not the money itself. The love of it. The inordinate affection. Desire for it. Rather, if you desire money more than God, then you've made yourself an idol. That an idol is anything we want more than God, anything we want more than Jesus Christ, anything we want more than the person and the filling of the Spirit of God. Anything that we desire it doesn't have to be money. It could be could be a desire for a spouse, it could be a desire for uh, something else, for acclamation. Anything we want more than God is an idol. We must always give our supreme affections to God and God alone. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says that it is God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So God gives us blessings and we are allowed to enjoy those blessings in due moderation. Uh, Job uh, certainly was a wealthy man. Abraham Genesis chapter 13 verse 2. Had many blessings from God. Isaac, Genesis 26. And Jacob, Genesis 30. You have Boaz in Ruth chapter 2. Solomon in 1 Kings 10. All were wealthy men. And, and, And that these were material blessings even as a part of covenant obedience. Look with me in your Bible at Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. And... I'll show you a few things here. This is the Deuteronomy is the book where the covenant is renewed with the people of God before they enter into the promised land. It's the, the last book for Moses here, and in Deuteronomy 15, verses four through six. Look this was the promise from God for the children of Israel if they would be covenantally faithful to him in the land. However, there will be no poor among you since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If if only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all this commandment which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you And you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Jump down uh, to chapter 26. Same book. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 15. He says, God says you shall have a full and just weight. That is, you don't cheat each other in business. Excuse me. 26, 15. Sorry, wrong. I was looking at 25. 26, verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as you swore to our fathers. So here's the covenantal promise of blessing if the people of God would obey. Look at chapter 28, verse 11. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 11, the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. So we see here that these things are blessings from God. Material blessings are blessings from the Lord. However, but the Bible forbids the love of money, the inordinate affection of. Of these things, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, I saw an advertisement for a seminary in the uh, in a magazine, in a Christian magazine, and it showed a pile of money. And it's the caption read, that this has caused more Christians to fail than going to the stake. That the love of money has caused more people, more Christians to wander away than the threat of losing our lives due to persecution. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Instruct the rich, this is those in the church, instruct the rich. Not to be conceited or to fix their hopes on on the uncertainty of riches. The stock market goes up, but the stock market can crash. Uh, Bible says that money has wings and can fly away. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from consideration of it. You set your eyes on it and it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward the heavens. Solomon said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. We see in Joshua chapter seven. You remember, boys and girls, the story of Achan. Achan got into serious trouble because he he coveted the things that were under the ban. Remember, um, there were things under the ban, which meant that they were not to touch them. They were not to covet them and desire them. They were to destroy these things because they often were images of false gods. And we know that when uh, Joshua and the army, they are taking over uh, Jericho and such, uh, that Achan took some of these things under the ban. And because they were beautiful and they were precious uh, and, and made of gold and such, he took them and he hid them in his tent. And you'll remember the story how then they went to fight little Ai, a little town. In fact, AI was so small that uh, Joshua said, we don't need to send the whole army to defeat AI. This, this isn't, so just take a select group and go and attack AI. And of course, they lose. And Joshua falls on his face before the Lord and wants to know, Lord, you said you were giving us this land and you've just humiliated us before this tiny little town. And God said, there's sin in your camp. Somebody's coveted the things that were under the ban. Because of the love of money, Achan brought disaster not just on his own family, but he brought defeat on the nation of Israel. And, and one does have to wonder, because of the love of money, how many, how many failures is the church having today because of the love of money? Because we're coveting things that are under the ban. Things that God has said don't touch, don't look at. And because the church is, is going after them and secretly hiding it in our homes, that we're, we're having a failure as a church. We're not seeing conversions. We're, we're not seeing the Spirit move because the Spirit is grieved. The Spirit's withdrawing His power from the church because the, the church is hiding things in their home that they should not be hiding. And we're losing the battle. And, and so God says to Joshua, their sins, people have been sinning. And so they draw lots and the lot ends up falling on Achan and Achan and his family are are destroyed. Numbers chapter 22 through 24, we see it was Balaam's love of money that caused him to be willing to curse the people of God. For the sake of money. And it and it ended up costing Balaam his own life later in When you read in Numbers chapter 31, we learn that when God's people destroyed the enemies of God, they destroyed Balaam as well, the traitor. Uh, We see that Deliah, for the sake of money, was willing to betray Samson. Judas betrayed our Lord and Savior for 30 silver pieces. Ananias and Sapphira betrayed the church by lying to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. You know the, the property was theirs. Peter says the property was yours, Ananias and Sapphira. You could have done with, with it what you wanted. You could have kept it. God wasn't God wasn't uh, frowning on you because you kept it. But what they do? They lied. They they said they oh well we sold it for uh, you know this price when they actually sold it for more and they held some back. It was it was the the, the lie associated with their giving that God had judged. Deuteronomy, as I mentioned before, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses warned the people that they would forget God as God caused them to prosper in the land. Moses prophesied that the prosperity of the people of God would lead to their own hardening. The love of money causes us to trust in riches rather than God. The love of money causes us to compromise Christian conviction. The love of money causes us to be proud The love of money even causes us to steal from God, oddly enough, and to ignore the needs of a lost and dying world. One of the things the Apostle Paul commended the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 was the fact that Paul saw the grace of God working in their life by the fact that they wanted to participate in the giving of the church. You remember the Macedonian churches, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, and uh, Paul, you know, goes over to Macedonia because he sees a man in a vision. Uh, while he, while Paul is in Troas, he has this vision of a man saying, come over here. And and they go over there. And um, as he's in Philippi, which was the the Roman colony uh, there in Macedonia, Lydia is converted, a, you have a businesswoman converted, you have a slave girl converted, and you have the Philippian jailer converted. So people from different backgrounds, different parts of the socioeconomic spectrum, all come to Christ. And Paul commends them for their giving. And and that um, these churches that were born in affliction and controversy, grace came to them as they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that the He commends them for what he calls the wealth of their liberality. He said, that's the evidence of grace in their lives. That that God converted their wallet, if you will. (laughs) That was the sign that they had truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there was a great deal of affliction in these churches. And yet, uh, they had more than enough. Some of them were suffering economically because of... The of their faith in Jesus Christ, you have to realize, you know, uh, just as there are trade unions today, there were unions and guilds in the first century. But the problem for a lot of Christians in the first century was when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you renounced all the the Greek and the Roman gods. A lot of times these guilds had gods associated with their guild. And that you had to pay homage to the god to be in the guild. Well, the Christians didn't want to be paying homage anymore to these false gods. Well, that that had economic consequences for them. They get kicked out of the guilds. And if you're not part of the guild, then nobody wanted to hire you. And so a lot of suffering came to the early Christians by way of of an economic loss. But that didn't keep them uh, from giving. Now, there were prominent members in the early church. We know that, too. They had to meet in homes, and they they met many times in the homes of prominent people. But the church also, because of persecution and oppression, also uh, suffered great poverty. The wealthy members were more of a rare exception than the greater members who tended to be poor. But here's the point with the widow's might. The ability to give is not determined by one's wealth. Your ability to give is not dependent upon how much you make. In fact, studies sociologically have been done to show that the wealthier one becomes, the less one tends to give as a percentage of your income. That the wealthier tend to give a smaller percentage of their income. Now, their bottom line might be bigger, but that's the point. The widow gave more. She gave everything she had to live on. Uh, Studies have been done as to which state in the United States is the most generous state in the union. Yeah, some of you know the answer. It's the poorest state in the union. The state of Mississippi is the poorest state in the union, and it ranks number one in charitable giving. and it was that way in the early church there was joy in the midst of the affliction which led to giving second corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says god loves a cheerful giver but the macedonians and the early church were motivated to give joyfully and freely some giving even as we see with the widow here beyond their ability paul says paul didn't have to beg the congregation The churches, we find in these letters, actually begged Paul for the opportunity to participate in the giving. And so that Paul's expectations were even exceeded. So it's a sign of grace in our lives when God gives us the desire to give. We have an opportunity to give coming up here in two weeks and we will be taking up our thank offering and uh, which will go to uh, home missions and foreign missions and christian education and i hope you and i will go before the lord and ask the lord lord how much should we give what do you want us to give for the work of your church uh, giving is also a, a sign of spiritual maturity we we are to abound in giving as a gracious work. The early church was often abounding in generosity and hospitality and showing mercy. And we are uh, to be doing likewise. There was a study done by uh, Barna. Uh, Barna is a a man who surveys uh, churches and religious life in, in the United States and particularly evangelicals. And uh, according to the Barna poll, uh, evangelicals spent more money on dog food in the past year than giving to foreign missions. Now, listen, I'm a dog lover, okay? But even still, um, that is not a good testimony for for us as an evangelical church. Um, studies have been sh- done and shown that our parents and our grandparents gave a greater percentage of their income than professing Christians do today. That's a generation that knew the Great Depression, too. When you think about your grandparents and your great-grandparents, those who lived through the Great Depression, who for whom uh, there was not economic certainty, uh, there, there, but yet the giving in previous generations, we know from studies, was greater than today. Well, what... What do we do? How do we motivate ourselves? Well, one thing I don't want to do is simply motivate by way of guilt. I want to motivate finally here by Christ and his love for us. What I think ought to motivate Christians, not just in giving in general, but everything we do is the Lord Jesus Christ, that God sent us the Lord Jesus and that Christ being Rich, being the eternal Son of God in glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Son has always been with the Father and the Spirit for eternity past. And they were blessedly happy in their triune fellowship for all those billions, trillions of years, if I can call it that. And yet, the Bible says that out of God's love, the Father sent the Son. Now, the Son we have to understand, is not unwilling. He's not an unwilling participant in the covenant of redemption. That as much as the Father wanted to send the Son for our salvation, the Son wanted to send Himself and wanted to go. That Christ, though being rich in glory in heaven, as very God of very God, was willing to clothe Himself with our poverty, This is why children, when you study your catechism, the shorter catechism, and we get to the question about the humiliation of Christ, where does the answer begin? The the humiliation of Christ begins with his what? His incarnation. That the son of God clothed himself with dirt. You are dirt. You are from the dust. And Christ was willing to clothe himself. His divine being with our humanity, yet without any sin. And thereby being both God and man in the one person. Jesus Christ lived a sorrowful life as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Lived a life of poverty. Lived a life of humiliation. Lived a life of being misunderstood. Lived a life of being persecuted. Lived a life of being hostily abused by the religious leaders of his day, and ultimately nailed to the cross. And then on top of that, having the sins of his people placed upon himself and the wrath of God the Father being poured out in judgment on the Son for our sins. Christ drank that cup of humiliation for us. And the apostle, and I think Luke here is demonstrating for us, As we enter into the humiliation of Jesus in this life, we uh, do so with a great blessing from the Lord. You know, the Bible says that the more we give, the more God puts back into our laps. The more we give, it is given back unto us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That, that, uh, you know, it, it maybe is trite, but it, it, it is true. We cannot outgive God. Now, we do have obligations. I'm not asking you to, you know, he who does not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. So we've got to keep that in mind. But also, we, we do need to remember, though, that, that God will see to it that as we give, Um, even this widow, as she gave all that she had to live on. God, his eye was especially on her, wasn't it? And Christ so loved you, he was willing to give himself for you. He gave up himself for us. What will we give for him this Thanksgiving? Let's pray together.